This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Rockheads. It's time again for NDC, an incredible developer conference held annually in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will both be there, of course, but check out this all-star lineup. Troy Hunt, Rob Eisenberg, Scott Allen, Oren Eni, Michelle Bustamante, Damian Edwards, Brock Allen, Dominic Beyer, and many more. Register before March 11th at ndc-oslo.com and save up to $350. That's 3,000 kroner for you Norwegians. NDC, we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1266, with guests Kevin Mack and Brandon Rohr. Recorded Thursday, January 28th, 2016. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks again. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're here again. East meets West. Something like like that. that. Yeah, East meets West over Skype. How's that? <laughs> Not really meeting. Uh, well, I, I, when we were doing that uh, tour around London, I mean, I, we were talking about, you You, know, you just pull out your phone and, and call your wife, and there she is. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's yeah, just a, living in the future. Yep. Uh, when I was a kid, this was uh, the stuff of dreams, and yep. now it's, here we are. And now it's trivial. Yep, and the kids that grew up with it just don't realize how magic it is. Yeah, it's the difference between an immigrant and a native. That's right. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm uh, plunking along, you know. I had very little to complain about. Uh, crazy spring season coming up here, obviously, build at the end of March. Uh, we've got Dev Intersections in Orlando at the Swan Hotel right. on uh, April uh, 8- 18th to the 21st. Yeah, and com is still going strong. You're yep, getting a new, lot of people great love the new site. And uh, we got finally got a comments engine. We got mugs. We got all those things. It's almost like a real show eight years later. Who are you talking to these days? Uh, in the, the topic areas are still people worried about Windows Server 2016. So there's some of the new stuff that's coming in that. And there's mm-hmm. been lots of uh, pre-releases on it. Uh, Azure. Azure is just becoming almost a mainstream topic now of how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? New management tools, you know, ha- keeping large scale systems organized. You know, one thing we don't really talk about is who listens to Runners Radio. Is it devs with a DevOps bent or is it IT guys or who's well, listening? Well, it's mostly IT folks, uh, but I do get the occasional note from a .NET Rocks listener or, you know, a dev who's like, I like to know how the other half lives. Yeah. Cool. Well, but, I like you know, it. You know, Run As is a wildly successful podcast, except when you sit inside .NET Rocks, which is this monster, right? Yeah, right. But uh, when you go to, like, the the Reddit sysadmin lists, it's the longest-running podcast in the IT space. Isn't that cool? RunAsRadio.com, yeah. folks. Check it out. All right. Let's roll the music, because I got something good for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy. What do you got? All right, following in the footsteps of last uh, of yesterday's show, 1266.pwop.me. 
This nice. is a fairly new Microsoft project, which you can find on GitHub. It's Code Push. Code Push. This is a cloud service that enables Cordova and React Native developers to deploy mobile app updates directly to their users' devices. It works by acting as a central repository that developers can publish certain updates to, for example, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and image changes, and that apps can query for updates from using their provided client SDKs. So this allows you to have a more deterministic and direct engagement model with your end users while addressing bugs and or adding small features that don't require you to rebuild a binary and or redistribute it through any public app stores. And there's where it gets weird. I don't, I just don't know what the laws are, you know, and, and in the land of Apple and in the land of Android for, for doing stuff like that. Because if you think about it, that circumvents their vetting process. It does effectively. I guess there's only so much you can push that way, but yeah, it's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. Because there's lots of folks that are doing embedding a browser inside their app on a phone so that they can update information without mm-hmm. having to redeploy the app every time. Yeah. This looks like they're just taking that a step further. It's pretty cool. Anyway, yeah. we'd like to probably uh, get somebody on that soon here on .NET Rocks because uh, it sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, it's cool, man. Yep. So who's talking to us, Richard? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 1239, the one we did with Brian Randall, where we talked about the Microsoft DevOps stack, which, of course, includes release management and a whole whack of other things. Got a few good comments on that show. Uh, one of them is from Stinge Peters, who says, uh, recently, I've been thinking a lot about DevOps and who would be an ideal candidate for it, mainly because I seem to be doing it more and more at my company without even noticing it first. Mm. When I first heard about it, it seemed to be a description of someone who wants to do everything that no programmer wants to do and no administrator wants to learn. Yeah. I'm an electronics engineer by education. That doesn't surprise me. EEs make great project leaders and developers. Yeah. But I've been programming for about 12 years. I find that I think differently than most, quote, classically strained programmers, if those even exist. I'm always looking at an application for its entire stack. I do support with the design, coding, deployment, hosting, and configuration on databases, web farms, and clusters, but haven't got a chance to play in the cloud yet. And when PowerShell first came out, I seemed to be the only one in the development space that was excited about it. And at a conference in Belgium, I was literally the only developer in a room full of administrators. I blame working in Linux for that, because command line rules. Okay. So at what point do I stop calling myself a programmer and start adopting a DevOps title? Hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't like the idea of someone with a title that says DevOps. Yeah, I don't really, either. Because it's really more of a practice, a practice than anything it's else. It's a culture. Uh, yeah. How about software awesomeness engineer? I love that. Yeah. yeah. Something along those lines. Because you do bring a lot of awesome when you can have, put all the things around software development that makes it more effective. You right. Know, you're making everybody else more productive. Yep, yep. So, Shin, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And you can also follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us tweets. We, uh, we eat them. <laughs> All right, that brings us to our guest today, Kevin Mack and Brandon Rohr. Kevin is and has been working in the software industry for the past 12 years, focused primarily on the Microsoft stack. Kevin has worked on a large variety of projects, everything from small applications to mobile and enterprise solutions. 
His passion is all things ALM and SDLC management, focusing on TFS and VSTS. He loves to eat acronym soup. He now works as an app development manager for Microsoft, and that explains the acronyms. He's a well-documented nerd and blogs at MacBytes, that's M-A-C-K, Bytes, and Total ALM. Uh, also with us today is Brandon Rohr. During the last nine years, Brandon has been working in the software industry and has had the opportunity to be a part of a variety of projects. Brandon enjoys working with VSTS, ALM, and spending time on things that seem impossible to create slash fix slash construct in the technology world. He co-created shareitsimple.com, a website that does anonymous file sharing, and he enjoys co-blogging for Total ALM. Brandon's passions include anything technical, also, of course, family, and skiing, and the outdoors. Currently, Brandon is an applications development manager for Microsoft. Welcome, guys. Hi, Carl. Hey. How's it going? Kevin. Kevin, let's identify you by voice first. Hi, I'm Kevin Mack. All right. And then the other, the other guy's got to be Brandon. Yep. <laughs> I'm Brandon Roy. Good hope. to be here, guys. All right. Now that we know who yeah. we all are. Thank you. Uh, great to have you on here. Release management is the topic. And um, yeah. yeah, a lot of acronyms in there. <laughs> yeah, like you said, you can tell we work for Microsoft. Lots of acronyms, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you didn't really? answer the you didn't answer the question with so. So I'm not so sure you are a total, <laughs> total born in the blood blue badge. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to prove yourself. Yeah, well, I am newer to the company. I started in August, so okay. so I need a little time to ramp up for that. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so we'll cut you some slack this yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> he's a fast learner, Richard. He wasn't gonna miss twice. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely not. So yeah, release management. What um, do you mean when you say release management? Because it's such a sort of misused set of terms. Uh, agreed. Uh, to me, whenever I hear the terms release management, it's talking about the actual deployment process of deploying bits to environments. So for so me, not it's just that, a production, but also testing anywhere else. To me, yeah. If you're, it's the deployment of a release that your team has been working on. So okay. you've been working on a release, and you're going to deploy it to an environment. How are you going to do that is sort of what I think of when I hear those terms. Let's go. And, and that's sort of along the lines of what I think the tool does um, or is in line with how the tool works in the sense that one of the big questions I always get from people. The tool? Is, What's the tool? Release, sorry. Release management V next. Okay. One of the big things that I hear a lot of from people is they don't sort of know where their build process ends and where release management begins. Mm-hmm. And to me, the big discrepancy there is build is just your process of generating the bits that are to be deployed. So it's whether you're doing continuous integration or whether you're doing nightly builds, it's that server that takes those bits, compiles everything, builds it all, and provides the, that output that release management is going to work with. Had, had you heard of or used code push before you heard me talk about it? No, I haven't. It's definitely interesting. It sounds a lot like um, I, when I did some work in the mobile space, it sounds a lot like install R. Um, mm. 
in that install R was a service that like whenever we would take a release and we had to distribute it to mobile devices, Mm -hmm. your options were either option A, I sit at my desk and everybody brings their phone to me, which never works, or option B, you sign up for a service like install R or test flight and deploy your bits that way. Right, right. So it sort of sounded like that, but for the Cordova space. Right. And I just find it interesting that it's sort of bypassing the whole app store checking process. I mean, I guess there's nothing keeping you from doing that, but you you have to have those bits in there when you get past the the first round. I'd be interested to see how that plays with like a provisioning profile in the Apple space and how that works. Because whenever you configure those, Apple sort of limits you by locking down how many computers you can deploy a non-production provisioning profile with Mm, right so i'd be interested to see how that works for a straight to production because that's sort of apple's answer to kind of android they just sort of let you do whatever you want so it's the wild (laughs) wild west it still is yeah they're they're like yeah what does it build we're good all right move on with life (laughs) yeah it's 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 you your your angry customers go for it who cares (laughs) we don't care your customers will burn you we don't need to exactly exactly yeah so, yeah. The, so, getting back to the release manager, that's sort of where I see this the uh, separation of what the terms of release management are. Brian, what do, or Brandon, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's spot on, Kevin. Um, I mean, I think you, you you spoke I mean very clearly. I agree with you completely. Um, I mean, more and more. Um, I mean, release management is actually a new term. So Kevin and I spend a lot of customer, a lot of time with customers, um, that, uh, basically helping them with their complete ALM story, right? So from, from soup to nuts. And a lot of them don't have a re- repeatable release path or release pipeline to do. So it's, it's basically, you know, they develop the code, they build the code, and then they hand it off to some guy who doesn't know anything about the code and they have to write instructions and detailed instructions on, you know, how to move code here, how to move code there, you know, update disk web config, encrypt this part of the web config. And a lot of times it falls apart pretty quickly. Um, one, because it's not repeatable. So Yeah. Now, you guys mentioned the product and clarified that as release management v next. So this is a Microsoft product, right? Release management for Team Foundation Server. Is that really what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. That is correct. Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we actually bought the product okay. um, several years ago. Um, and it is basically morphed. I mean, it stayed the same, right? So when we bought it, we came out with TFS 2013, um, and it's gone through several iterations, but, uh, release management 2013 and 2015 pretty much look the same. Um, it's a, a black UI that, or a GUI that you install. It's a, it's a thick client. Um, and then you have a, a an on top, um, part that you install on the server itself. So it's not really fully baked in the system. Um, and then we came out with release vnext, which is still in preview uh, with VSO or VSTS um, now, and hopefully be coming on-prem near you soon. Um, okay, but, so what uh, if you've moved your deployment and uh, all of that stuff to the cloud? Let's say you're on Azure. Yep. How's that? How's it fit? Release management plays pretty well with Azure um, as far as being able to generate. Your, it works on the same type of model as build in the sense that you can have tasks and you can do just about anything you want. So you can deploy directly to Azure using release management. Um, You do have two options as far as whenever you configure 
uh, agents for your build service or for release management to use, you basically have two options. You can either A, create them yourself and use your own on-premise, either VM or some uh, some hardware on your end, mm-hmm. or you can use a hosted build agent. If you use a hosted build agent, that means that Microsoft is giving you the build agent and basically you you get billed by the minute. Yeah. for how long it takes your build process to run. Nice. And then the agent, you can actually deploy straight from there into Azure. Like, for example, one of the ones that Brandon and I did a lot of work with was deploying straight to Azure Web Apps. So being able to take release bits and have different environments or having deployment slots set up and having it push the bits to where it needs to be. All right. So let's compare this to something popular like Octopus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, was, so, that a, was that a snicker or just a cough? Or, <laughs> or, 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 oh, great. That question yeah. again. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, why are you bringing that up? I thought we talked about that. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. yeah I know somebody's thinking about things not to talk about. No, I'm <laughs> well, I know that, you know, there's people out there using it and happy with it. So let's, let's just uh, pitch them. Yeah. So to me, the big benefit of release management, number one, like Brandon talked about, the old version of the product of release management had a a thick client UI that you worked with. It had a service. It had all this overhead involved with trying to get things set up. The overhead involved with getting the VNext version set up is significantly less. Like like Brandon was talking about, we sort of went... from a as it's gone through these iterations it's gone through a pretty drastic change to go and install an agent now is literally the process of hitting your either on-premise tfs or in this case i'm going to focus on the vnext product so that's only in vsts at the moment i go out to vsts I say I want to create a new agent and I download a zip file. Mm-hmm. That zip file has a PowerShell script. I run it. I answer a few questions and I'm off to the races. It creates the agent and everything I need at that time. And then it's as simple as I go back to a web user interface and I'm able to build out my full release de- definitions, build out every part of my release using tasks. And I can even upload custom tasks and then just run it from there. And I can either, I can even go as far as setting up like continuous integration for the build, set up continuous deployment and release management and have it just push to new environments okay. as it goes. So it, to me, the big benefit of release management vnext is it's a very easy product to set up and get off to the races on. Yep. Um, Octopus deploy to me, while well, Octopus deploy has a better story than I think the old version of release management had, mm-hmm. it's still not as low overhead as the new VNext release management is. I mean, would you agree with that, Brandon? Oh, I do agree. Um, I mean, so if you, if, so if anybody who's listening here is already using the new build system, which is VNext, right? So if you've moved off of XAML builds, um, and you are now doing the scriptable builds, so you're using a web browser on the beach somewhere to create a build definition, um, add a whole bunch of steps. Um, those same agents that you set up for the vnext build or the new build system can be leveraged for your release um, uh, pipeline or building your release deployments. And a lot of the same steps, they actually traverse. So those same steps, um, they're all kind of, if you would look in the inner workings of those steps, they're all JSON based, hmm. um, but they actually can be used on release or even re- used in the build system. So a lot of what you would do as part of the build, you can actually then run within your release path or release templates. So 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Now, I mean, one of the things that was key to Octopus Deploy was that you needed an agent on every machine that was going to receive any part of a build. Yep. Isn't that true exactly. of VNext as well? No, no, you can no. do remote PowerShell execution um, and a lot so of other stuff. The big, so the big whammy has been up until now, you couldn't get enough control of the remote machine without putting something on that SOT. And you figure with remote PowerShell execution, which, by the way, not simple to set up. Mm. But once it's True. set up, you've got the security set for it correctly. That's enough control to deploy anything you want. Yep. I mean, I mean you would define anything. But, yeah, you can probably do standard deployment tasks for sure. So, so what's the typical uh, workflow when you're when you're using release management? Um, yeah, so a typical workflow. So I'm a user going out to set up release management, right? And you you basically need to come up with your environment. So what makes up your environment? So do you have a dev, a QA, a production, or a multiple layers in between? So you would you would want to figure out how far do you want to deploy? A lot of people starting out. Um, who are new to release management and the concept of new uh, release management, um, they have a hard time trusting it to production, right? So mm. a lot of times you see people going to dev and then maybe a staging or a lower level environment, and they'll try that out for a couple of months. You'll see the pretty much the instant value that it provides and then eventually go to production. But I mean, it's really the same as set up to build. You open the browser, you browse out to your project for TFS, you click the plus symbol, you pick what kind of release um, you're going to do. There's a couple of templates out there that you can choose from, um, like Azure uh, Web Apps is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and basically from there, I mean, you set up your environments and then in your environments itself, so you set up your steps. And those steps can be, you know, it could be just executing PowerShell. Um, they have some IIS steps out there and they have some of the, the stuff wrapped essentially. But if you look at the steps that are provided out there, um, in the end, what really happens behind the scenes, it's all just PowerShell executing. Um and you can actually view, so all the steps, the build steps and release steps that are provided by default are actually on GitHub. They're open source. You can view the PowerShell behind the scenes and see how they're built. And that's a great place and a great way to start if you want to write your own or, or make them extensible. So, Yeah, that's where we started for when we started writing our own was to go out to that GitHub and sort of see how it was being done already. Um but yeah, and the, the, like Brandon said, the wealth of tasks available to you whenever you're going out here is pretty extensive. I mean, it goes beyond like what your normal dark matter developer is going to do, which is just basically build an app, try to get a web app onto a server. Mm. I mean, you could be including into this uh, DAC pack deployment to deploy database changes. You could be publishing to NuGet feeds. You can, there's a variety of things that are available out there. Yeah. To really leverage. And I know like perfect for instance is the NuGet feed specifically. Like I've been having talks recently with customers about the idea of they have they're building NuGet packages as cornerstone pieces of their apps and being able to have a continuous build to push that NuGet package out to their feed for their developers is a fantastic benefit. So you can use Chef too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great. Yeah, we actually we actually just came out with uh, Xplat agents. Yes. So you can build Xcode, Android, Java code. Um, you can install agents on Macs now to do uh, Xamarin builds um, for iOS. Um, so really, the the possibilities are, are quite endless. So wow. I think the strength of this, the strength of release management to me is the fact that it's so extensible. It's they're really it's a framework that allows for a lot of growth. As opposed to other things where you're sort of stuck with these canned list of tasks and it's the square peg round hole syndrome. 
So you can obviously develop your own tasks too, if you don't mm-hmm. like the stuff yep. that's built in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. To use example, Brandon and I created a couple of tasks out there. And one of the ones Brandon worked on towards the end recently here was uh, as part of your release management, having it run code analysis on the built bits and fire off an email to send that report out to your development manager. So you could, as part of your release, have it run analysis, send back an email, and then your development manager can take that and do whatever he needs to from the release. The other thing that's worth mentioning here with release management, and this is one we haven't really touched on, but it's another benefit, is it hooks, because it's in TFS and in VSTS, it's part of that whole ALM tracking story. Like the, the biggest benefit, one of the things I like about VSTS is the fact that it'll track, I can track everything from work items the whole way through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those, stop me if you heard this one before. You go in, mm-hmm. you have a bug, you go into code and see that three months ago, somebody changed this line and good luck finding out why. Oh, that's never happened to me. I don't know. I don't know what you yeah. guys are doing, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So, but with, if you're using work item tracking and you've done those check-ins, you can see that associated change set history. Well, release management will actually wrap up those associated work items as part of your release. So whenever it tracks the release, I can go back and pull out this, the release last week's release had the following work items in it and the following tests were run on it. And I can see that whole picture of what's available. Um, Whereas if I'm using an outside tool like Octopus Deploy, it's one of those, uh, it's sort of based on a developer's notes and I don't trust my own notes. So (laughs) that's kind of a scary prospect. (laughs) I also noticed Jenkins is supported. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For those who aren't Java developers, tell us about that. Jenkins is uh, specifically, I've been working with a customer that uses it to move their bits to their environments. And if you have a previously set up Jenkins server, if you're using Jenkins as a service to move your bits, you can have release management pushed to to that. Um, It's really dependent on whatever you, however your environment is. I think the, the goal here was, and this is just my feelings on it, but the goal to me was to try to provide as much ability to hook into what your current environment setup is Mm -hmm. rather than try to force you into what somebody thinks it should be. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And that's, that's very cool for a Microsoft project. And I, you know, I say that with all, all with love, you know, with love (laughs) and respect. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So is uh, is VSO optional here? You don't have to use the online product if you don't want to? As of right now, the current version of release management vNext is only available in VSTS. Um, it's still in public preview. So, right. But my understanding is it's supposed to come to an on-prem world soon. Um, there hasn't been an official date announced that I'm aware of. But at this particular point, you can you have to sign up for VSO and, and there it is. It's just a button, right? It's just the release button. Well, and yeah. again, that's of January 28th when we're recording this, so it may may be different now. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if in, uh, in, if in the build time frame we might hear hmm. some good news. It could be. I mean, Just most of our speculation stuff for, on my part, mind you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most of our stuff. So we're, we're pretty, I mean, we don't hide much anymore. So you can go out to visualstudio.com and I think there's a couple of menus out there. Eventually you can get to kind of our features timeline. 
but we're actually, right. we will show you what we're working on and we'll actually give you, you know, the quarter that we're targeting to release that, whether it be on-premise version or the next version. So, mm-hmm. um, and I haven't seen it out there yet. Um, it has been, I mean, we've been playing with it for a couple of months now. I mean, since November. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's coming along and they keep pushing stuff out, you know, every other week to it. So very cool. Yep. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to order the chef to deploy lunch because I'm starving. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starving. (laughs) (laughs) Little John Panette leaking through there. Little John Panette. Yep. (laughs) Actually, it's time to give away Music to Code by Complete Collection. This is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet, and groovy instrumentals that have been scientifically designed to promote focus. They'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. People are using them for for coding, especially, but also for reading. And I've noticed that a lot of people with kids on the ASD spectrum are using it for to help their kids focus and fall asleep at night and things like that. Really good, great comments coming back from the community here. It's very cool. So check it out at musictocodeby.net. Awesome, dude. So who's our winner? Today's winner is Ambrose Adamson from Peterborough in the UK. Congratulations, Ambrose. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Ambrose just won the Music to Code by Complete Collection. And uh, if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you have to sign up to win. All you have to do to win is sign up. That's it. So uh, we also like to ask our guests, guys, Kevin, Brandon, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Kevin, let's start with you. Um, if, Well, in my case, can I tell a little story here to go with this yeah, one? Yeah, sure, of course. So, so basically, the uh, my, my daughter has become like an engineering nut. She loves to build stuff to the point that one night uh, I was taking care of our younger son, and she wanted in a drawer – and I told her she had to wait. She went and got a dog leash and worked up a pulley system to open the door, open the drawer for herself. Ah, nice. <laughs> she's 
33 years old. So, so I would take that money and put it in a bank account and it's going to become the daddy daughter engineering fund slash mommy eye roll fund. So nice. now when my <laughs> wife rolls her eyes and she can't say, Oh, how much did that cost? It's just going to be, Oh, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> we would have be happy, happy to serve in that capacity. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she, Build everything. Yeah. <laughs> Her answer yeah, for yeah. everything. Awesome. Yeah. All right, uh, Brandon. Oh, man. You got tough questions on this show. I tell you what. Um, <laughs> the hardest question is <laughs> what would you buy with 5000 If that's the hardest question, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. I, w- I mean, it had to be technology, huh? So I know I was supposed to think about this ahead of time, and you guys are tough. Um, <laughs> let's see. So you're familiar with uh, the flying things you can buy these days, right? And now you have to register them with the FFA. Right. I don't know. Right. So I would probably buy four of those. The reason I would buy four is because I'm not very good with that kind of RC type stuff, and I would probably wreck and destroy the first three <laughs> learning how to fly them. And I would then have one to use in my daily use, flying, you know, at parks and other fun stuff. So, where do you live in the suburbs? No, well, we live out in Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Harrisburg. Um, a lot of acreage. So yeah, a lot, of, a good amount of acreage. Yep. So we can, you know, how check far? out the deer and check out the animals, whatnot. So, how far is your nearest neighbor? Oh, I can't even see my neighbor. So. All right, so no, probably half mile. Brandon's off in the sticks. So you don't so. have to worry about uh, you don't have to worry about them getting shot down. Then yeah, I was just no, saying you're not going to have to see your neighbor. You're just going to hear the shotgun blast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I'm flying over my neighbor's house, it's by mistake. Yeah, and that's bye bye drone probably. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was number. That was drone number three. Yeah, that right was there. number three. <laughs> oh. oh, that's awesome! Awesome. Good gadget. Hey, but I, I have good news. So I just looked it up. So release management V next will be on premise TFS 2015 update two. So the next update that rolls out, it will be baked in. So they'll have the on premise version of that. Yes. Yep. That's pretty exciting. And this is the old, um, was it in cycle in release? Yes. Yep. We yep. did a show it, it, about this. I'm almost two years ago, right? When it shortly after it been acquired. So it's nice to see that it's maturing. It's, it's really being integrated deeply in. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, and I guess because I was helping a lot of customers with the older version of the product recently too. And one of the big benefits that I like seeing in it is in the old product, you had release templates and release paths and you'd set that up. And the biggest headache advising customers was explaining the difference between the two because mm. I had no customer ever that I ever had got it. They all looked right. at me like I'd grown a third eye. Yeah. In the new version of release management, we have release definitions and that's it. <laughs> it's like, hey, oh, better that, hope, that I get. <laughs> better hope Kes, uh, Kevin's customers don't listen to this show. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I guess a release definition is basically, this is your configuration as code statement. This is what used to be in the Word document, just yep. outlined clearly that actually exactly. gets executed. Exactly. And it's one of those, it's like, and it's now I'm going to cover myself. It's no slight against my previous customers. It's the fact that, you know, it was just such a weird terminology set. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because naming is hard. Exactly. Exactly. Try to name anything and it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So, hey guys, I, mean, I, I don't want to change gears too much here, but in the space of managing releases, the problem child seems to be the database. So, I mean, what is the strategy for how you manage moving from one release to another with the databases? Uh, changes need to be done as well. So, do you want well, the Microsoft answer? <laughs> <laughs> let's go, let's do both. <laughs> Okay. Well, the Microsoft answer would be SSDTs, so SQL Server data tools, where, right. I mean, you can essentially pull in your entire database schema from, you know, users, views, store procs, tables, etc., into a project. Um, and, and from there, those actually can be compiled like the rest of your code into right. deck packs. And then, and it, I mean, um, irrespective of the product, the mentality of treating database schema as source, I think is pretty compelling. It just and, you have to depend on a tool to say, here is the schema I have, here is the schema I want, don't wreck anything, go. <laughs> True. Yeah, but well, I mean, how, so if you work with, I, I know a lot of SQL DBAs, and none of them have Visual Studio installed. So it's, no. it's a different conversation to get them to kind of leave, you know, SSMS, um, and, uh, SQL Server Management Studio, and go to Visual Studio instead. So... It, well, it like there's Redgate SQL Compare, too. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Which, you know, I, I would argue, depending on who you talk to and how the wind's blowing, a better product. For, for this particular problem of manage your schema, point to a schema, make changes, do it in a non-destructive way. Agreed. Yep. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's your test bed. Yep. So, are, is your argument then, whatever tool you use... Treat your schema as source, make it part of the package, and it's simply applied every time. In my experience, yeah, I would argue that regardless of the tool, you should be. Um, right. The biggest headache I see lots of, a lot of developers run into is it also boils down to sort of this de- the greater DevOps conversations, which I know you guys have had lots of shows on. But yes. the fact of the matter is... If you have to sit there and as part of your release process say that, oh, yeah, we need to stop here while you get one specific person to do this X, then you're sort of undermining the entire process. And you're also undermining this idea of DevOps in the sense that really to get, in my experience, to get operations to be interested in DevOps, you need to show them, one, that it's secure, two, that it's reliable, and three, that it's something that they're not, it's not going to blow back on them specifically. Mm. And if you have a manual step in there to go out and move your database manually as a DBA, you're not providing those three options. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like you're creating a scenario where there's an element of human error in the process. Yeah. You're back to, it's no different than deploying code by hand. You're doing, you're basically doing the same issue. The only, the other element that I've seen in this is, uh, when, you know, every DBA, and I've been a DBA, that's why my hair looks like this, uh, <laughs> ha- has a way they like their databases organized. And if you're going to start using these tools, and, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, because I've learned, I've learned to use them, you have to do a whole bunch of testing. And so you start putting it in the bad scenarios. Right. The bad scenario is we're going to take an existing column. We're going to split it into two columns. Right. So here's my new schema. How does that mapping work and so forth? And you want to see how the tool does it. Right. How it protects the data. And then it's like, okay, now roll back. 
You know, you the same way we used to test databases back before we just presumed they always worked. You know, you'd write a record, you pull the plug, and you see how it recovered. So you actually go through all this process. One of the things you find is there is detritus left behind by these tools. Uh, all, you know, no longer constrained columns and things that are that have been rendered obsolete by these updates, and they need to be cleaned up at some point asynchronous to a package deployment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So I agree. It, I mean, it's the, the point I wanted to make is just having battled this battle a bunch of times. I've seen a couple of different strategies. One is there is a, a package for the database that comes in ahead of any given release that stages the database into shape so the new release can come into play. Then the release gets run and then there's a cleanup step. And the other one is, is keep the thing packaged as one package, but you still have to have somebody doing housekeeping occasionally saying, yeah, that column's no longer used. I mean, we can take these things out. They won't have impact on four, on packages moving forward. Yeah, agreed. I, I think the big benefit to me also, like, when looking at sort of the situations you're describing too is, at least when we're talking the SQL Server data tools side of things, the biggest part of that that I know in the work I've done in my career, I've had a lot of success with is the database project. And the big reason I bring that up is traditionally, whenever it comes to application development, we are all great at making sure our changes are in source control until right. we hit the database that becomes the big black hole. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> nothing is stored in source control in the database. We rely on ourselves manually to come up with scripts and hope it all works for the best. Oh, you only have to mangle one stored procedure and have no trail of how it got mangled, exactly. much less how to get back. Yeah. Yep. Ask me how I know. <laughs> exactly. And the, to me, the big benefit there is when you're using SQL Server data tools, and they, I'll, I'll, this is the use case scenario I've worked with developers for, worked in projects that I was in charge of at previous employers, and even worked with stuff since about but basically you create a database project you import the schema from then on any database change should be made to that database project first and then they should be publishing to their local sql instance if possible right the reason i say that is if you get them used to the habit of checking into the database project first you get all the work item tracking work item association you get all that stuff done and you also shift the focal point of basically what your standard, like what you look to as the standard for the database shifts away from some server somewhere into a part of your project. A repository. Yeah. So yeah. you've basically, sh you've made that the standard you're going to cling to. Mm. And now you have the ability to have like the scenario you just talked about, Richard, you, somebody mangles a stored procedure. You go back and look and say, okay, who made the change when and why? So that yeah, who can, do I have to kill? Exactly. <laughs> so but also, which forward. one do I restore? The prospect of restoring a database to get a stored procedure back? Like, shoot me in the head now. Exactly. Right. Yep. Exactly. So it, it is a culture shift, but I will say this for the culture shift. It takes one time of a developer going out and making a stored procedure on the server rather than in the database project and having it blown away. <laughs> by release <laughs> management or some other tool and all of a sudden you'll see they move right to the database project again it's yeah. like oh oh i lost how much work <laughs> you know <laughs> but i think this overall policy of everything is source code everything is repository everything is backed up and logged 
I, I don't care how I retire your DBAs are. This is good discipline. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It's, 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 it's still a difficult conversation. I mean, a part of what Kevin and I do for Microsoft is having these conversations. Um, and it's no, no easy feat at all. So, um, I mean, DBAs are they're They like, like you said, they like it just the way they've been doing it for many years. Well, and my I mean, responsibility is not is to protect the company's data. And yep. my biggest source of vulnerability for that is you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I'll have my, uh, all my DBAs who are struggling with this call you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it is super hard. I mean, I think it's also an interesting, when you talk about the cultural part of this is, you start, you have to not talk about it in the context of development, right? Because yeah. DBAs don't feel like they're developers. So the idea that you would approach this from the perspective of these are tools for database management, the fact that they happen to relate well to package management, you know, they're not like dev tools. A package doesn't mean development. It means a package. It's all of the information about how the environment runs for operations. It's all of the instrumentation. It's, you know, and, and sh why shouldn't the database be part of that? It's an intersection point between operations, data management, and de and development. Yep, I agree with you. Now, one thing that I, I, I like to show, and, and I don't hop right into, you know, SSDTs. You should be using this to do your database uh, changes and schema changes. I introduced them to kind of the, the database to database compare that will come with SSDTs and then also the data to data compare. So you can compare two SQL Server databases, find the differences, generate scripts to make one look like the other. Showing them those tools, like similar to like what Redgate offers, is an, is an avenue that I use then to eventually say, hey, yeah, you like that? Look, check out this. We, we can actually import your database into a project and look what you can do here. So, yeah. No, yep, my yep. favorite for that is showing uh showed a or a previous employer. I was sitting there and we showed them, hey, look at what this schema compare that Visual Studio can do, and I had a guy run out of the room to say he had to cancel a PO <laughs> like <laughs> to buy some <laughs> other product. <laughs> By the way, this is a tool you already own. Exactly. Yep. It's like, uh -huh. oh man, I could do this. Like, oh, I gotta go cancel like four POs that I just wrote. <laughs> Uh, well, these people are thinking in terms of buying product around that. They recognize that it's an issue. Mm -hmm. That's great. Can we talk about the sort of larger instrumentation story in release management, about time to build, uh, time for testing being run, that kind of thing? So, meaning in the sense of like how long it takes to execute a release, a build, and all that kind of stuff? or Yeah, well, and also, you know, what do you – what all – what all do you incorporate into a release? Like, aren't you including a bunch of testing and so forth where it actually needs to stage to a location, that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You can do that as far as setting up. Cause like Brandon talked about earlier, you can point a lot of this, the tasks that are available and build are also available in the release management side. And the reason for that is exactly the scenario you're talking about. If you have certain kinds of tests you want to do or certain kinds of events you want to have occur in different environments, then that's something you can leverage the tool to do. Um, and it's definitely something that you should be doing. Um, I know there, uh, we all love to talk about unit tests as like the standard and they should be. Um, mm -hmm. There are a lot of dark matter developers out there that are still struggling with the idea of implementing unit tests. Um, and that's something like Brandon's point, we have a regular conversation about with customers um, mm -hmm. is the importance of that. But 
it's definitely something that because you're leveraging the same agents for build as release, you could do pretty much the same events. So if you want to run your tests on each environment after you move the bits, if you're running tests on DLLs as part of your build process and you want to keep your release clean of those, you can do that too. Yeah, I mean, and so, now I mean, in, in Studio 2015, there's IntelliTest too, right? Like the, you, you're now just giving people tools to say, here, I'll make tests for you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, to add the IntelliTest, yeah. But I mean, you can still run your, so as of, you know, part of your release, once you have a release somewhere, you can run, you know, your coded UI tests. Um, so any functional tests you have. And, and a big one that most people don't do, but should do is when you're in a QA environment or in a higher level environment, why not load test it? Why not run web performance tests? Let's see how your sure. servers mm-hmm. are responding once we have the new code out there. So, or integration tests, let's actually modify data. So, and, and, Release management, the VNext portion, allows you to do that quite easily. So most of it's already baked into the product. At some point, are we going from release management into the sort of continuous delivery model? I hope so. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> so you see release management as an ingredient of continuous deployment? Uh, absolutely. I would say so. Are we there yet? Or <laughs> it, To me, most of the the... Most of the types of developers I've talked to and things like that, there's still a lot of a cultural like reserve against moving to that continuous deployment model. Cause we all, we've all heard like the story of like Amazon, they have a new deployment. What every, like they have new code in production. Like every of a 15 second. Minutes. Yeah, yeah. Something like yeah. that. Something ridiculous. But most of the, uh, as Brandon was talking about, most of the dark matter developers you're going to find out there, they're still in a situation where they would like to see automated builds. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they'd like to see continuous integration for builds, let alone a release. But release management does have the ability, and it's literally a checkbox to tell it continuous deployment. And it'll pick up the bit new bits as soon as they're available and start running it. Um, and I do think that that's the goal we all want to get to, just because... No matter what, the biggest headache we as developers or anybody in uh, any IT professional is going to face is the business wants changes and they want them now. <laughs> they right. don't want to wait a month. So right. the fa- if you look at all the major advancements over probably the past like five, six, seven, ten years, they're all about delivering faster. In Azure, you got the benefit of I could spin up a VM in minutes, you know, whereas... 10 years ago, how long did it take to get a new server up? Right. And now we're looking at, now I can take those bits that are deployed and through an automated, dependable, reliable process, push them straight through to even my staging environment so that I can have users look at the change immediately rather than wait. You know, Mm -hmm. um, most of the developers I've talked to, that's where their eyes are because they aren't completely comfortable with the idea of a straight-to-production automated deployment. So they say, oh, well, get it to staging right away so that I can call a user who just called me and say, hey, come take a look at this and tell me what you think. Now, Uh, now remember, when we're talking about continuous integration and release management, I mean, we still have checks and balances. So with release management, you still have the ability to have approvers. So pre-deployment or post-deployment. So, you know, after, you know, QA and production, you don't have to go straight there, but you'll have, you know, it's going to halt until it goes to production until a post-deployment approver looks at QA, approves it, clicks a button, and then that release pipeline or pathway will then kick off and then go to production. So it's not like you check in code and it ends up in production. Although, I mean, we some customers do that, 
um, there's checks and balances along the way. Um, so you don't have to go straight to production every time. So, Well, and especially when you're running in the cloud, it's just not that big a deal to deploy to another set of instances, do all kinds of testing, and then flop the DNS over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're doing like slots. Yeah, I it's do easy. DNS do flopping every swap. day. Yeah. <laughs> it's just healthy, right? It's just a sort of mind. This is the, the cattle, not pets mindset. Mm-hmm. Right? You build, you, you don't update your, your machines. You build new ones and you shoot the old ones. <laughs> <laughs> Time to put old Yeller down, huh? For <laughs> some reason, I, I think of office space when they're destroying that fax machine or whatever with baseball bats. <laughs> hey, Tex, that website needs shooting. <laughs> What's the expression? It's time to make the burgers. <laughs> yes, but it's all. But it's also this mindset of there's nothing sacred in any given virtual machine or or platform configuration anymore. You can make it again. That's how you know for sure that your script is right because you just rebuilt the whole thing from the script. Exactly. Yeah, that's the reliability of automated deployment. I mean, if you are wrong, you're going to find out in a big hurry. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You could get a nasty phone call. Um, Well, this is where lighting up the new set of of instances is so compelling. You light a new set of instances and they don't work. It's like, pretty sure there's something wrong. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that even goes to the point that you've talked about before, which is I know on other shows, which is like roll back versus fail forward type mentality and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, you know, it's one of those, a regular question. I know I get a lot and I I know Brandon does too, is the, Oh, well, how easy is it to roll back a release? To me, rolling back a release is hard. I don't care what tool you're using. Like the idea of being able to truly roll back is difficult. So if you're a true Microsoft, you'd say, why would you ever want to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I'd much rather fail forward yeah. and move forward than try to roll back because I don't. I've never had an experience with any tool rolling back is never easy. It's it's just always brutal, <laughs> and it's only going to create more. It, it rarely creates less pain. Exactly. But, but again, you get back to this mindset of if we're dealing with virtualization everywhere, there is no reason to. You deploy the new one in a new set of instances. You find problems in it. And so you stay on the old one because it's never gone down. And then you make your fixes, roll, you know, deploy it again until you're happy with it. And then you flop and kill the old one. Exactly. Yeah. Cause the, the problem is too, I mean, we, like you said, it's never going to be a true rollback. And the problem is if you tell a business user that you're doing a rollback, they believe it will be. So there's this reality and the reality disconnect between what's really going to happen and what their expectations are. So if you're running this virtual environment, stand up a second one. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm not just saying only in the cloud either. This was an architecture I used through the dot-com boom for crying out loud, but that was back when we had more money than cents and we could <laughs> afford to buy double of everything. But it was this mindset of we can never be down. We make too much money per minute. And so you're able to stand up the entire new instance, explore it, validate it completely, and then just switch over to it. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, sounds like a show to me. I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's good stuff, and and uh, I appreciate you uh, allowing us to do comparisons and stuff because you know that's what that's what our listeners want to know. And, oh, absolutely! Uh, it looks like a great product. Thanks for thanks for doing it. Yeah, no, no problem at all. 
and thanks for being here. And we'll talk to you, dear listener, next time on Dot Networks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Every day, we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.